Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's the 4th of July, but we're not celebrating. We're recording a podcast because there's nothing to celebrate. (laughs) Uh, So I got political right away. It's cool. Good. We got that out of the way. Did we? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't don't know what you have planned for this episode, so I can't say. no, the, the, the story I've chosen for you is not political, but right, uh, cool. I will not be celebrating the 4th of July. In fact, currently I'm wearing my notorious RBG shirt. Um, Which I would argue is celebrating the best America has to offer. Ex- well, had to offer. Um, we, we rest, rest, Miss Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not feeling super uh, patriotic today, though we did watch um, a fireworks display that set a mountain on fire the other day. That was that was exciting. It felt um, it's felt appropriate, felt n- nearly biblical, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we were I went to see. So I've been enjoying my time with Ken. Hi, everybody. Um, Ken here in Utah. We've been to Zion National Park twice. Um, and uh, we I've seen Ken's show twice and I've seen both of the other shows at Tuacon, which all were fabulous. Um at the end of Wonderland the other day, they had they were going to have this huge like a fireworks display because it was on um, Saturday night, which was their last show before the Fourth of July in the outdoor space. And but at the end of the show, there are just a couple of fireworks that go off that are like kind of like shooting star type situations. And apparently, one of the sparks caught like a tree on fire that then caused a couple other trees to catch on fire. So we're watching the curtain call. And the understudy for Alice is on, and she's doing a fabulous job. I can't even watch this curtain call because there is quite literally a bonfire going off, like that did not turn into a wildfire. Whoever the firefighters were there did a wonderful job. Yeah, the the, but, the fire safety team at Tuacon showed up, did their job, put yeah, it out. It, it was fine. It never got out of control. It was very like isolated. But oh my gosh, it was like watching um, the gods go no. You do not get to celebrate this year because then they had to cancel the fireworks. <laughs> well, naturally, because, you know, I mean, when when your one firework at the end of a show sets off a fire, n- nearly sets the neighboring town on fire, you, you, you decide to scale back. Yeah. And that's what they did. So that's where we are today. Uh, I have enjoyed my time in Utah. This will be uh, the last podcast we record here in Utah together. Yep. Um. If you're out this way, check out Tuacon. Um, it's fabulous. Their summer shows are fabulous. And uh, um, check out Zion National Park because we had a really great day there both days. But yesterday we hiked about 10 miles. I am shocked that I am not pink and red like a little scorched lobster. Yeah, we did good with the really with the should sunscreen. be by all rights. We did good with the sunscreen. Um, I think we applied the right amount and at the right times because... I look a little red, but that's what I always look like the day after I'm in the sun, but I'm not burnt (laughs) and you're not burnt. So we did good. We did good. Um, Yeah. Zion's beautiful. Um, 
Springdale's beautiful. Super encourage you to get out and uh, explore some national parks and um, support that that part of our country because that's that's super important and super amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of pretty stuff out there, and apparently for like seventy bucks, you can get a year long pass to go see as much of it as you want. Yeah, so take advantage of that. Yeah, you can get an annual pass and go to any national park you want in the country, which is kind of phenomenal. So. Highly recommend if you're looking for something to do that doesn't involve other people. <laughs> so once again, we have swerved dangerously close into um, travelogue podcast <laughs> territory, which is not the goal of Campfire Classics. What as is much the goal? as we enjoy traveling, and and we really do, this podcast is a literature comedy podcast. Uh, two terms that we use very loosely, but people seem to like it. So what are you gonna do? Oh, okay. I uh, so every week, Heather and I take turns reading short stories that we have found for each other uh, out of the public domain. This week, Heather has a story that she has chosen for me to attempt valiantly to read. And along the way, we're going to probably make fun of some anachronistic language and in all likelihood laugh at things that were not intended to be penis jokes by the original author, but certainly are now. (laughs) You are correct. Ding dong is a penis joke. I win. Uh, But before we get to reading the story, Heather's got some fun facts that she's excited to share with us that perhaps might give some context to what it is we're about to read. Lovely. Um, So this week we are going to read a story by an author we have covered a few times. So my fun facts are not going to be about the author, though uh, I should have gone back and found out which stories... Um, basically you're reading a story by M.R. James. Oh, great. Who is one of Those our... always fun. So we actually discovered M.R. James because my mom found a book in our basement of M.R. James short ghost stories yeah. and gave it to us and was like, this might fit your podcast. And that was like very early on. Very early. I think and, it was episode seven or eight or yeah, something. Yeah. And we were like, oh, awesome. Cool. I think The Wailing Well was the first one we yeah. read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've done a couple since then. We've done then. a couple since then. I uh, think we did a school story. We did another one. But really, really prophilic. Uh, prophilic? Prophilic. prophilic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. Prophilic. Um, he's, he's, he's a um, professional at filling licks. Cool. Where's he located? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say a graveyard somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I, sure we've he, established he's dead. He is definitely not alive anymore. But anyway, so what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to tell you the title of the story and then I'm going to give you some fun facts because the title like kind of feeds the fun facts. Uh, okay. So you will be reading The Haunted Doll's House oh, no. by MRT. <laughs> No, so my, no, no, no. So my, I'm not sure I will be. Okay, well, my fun facts are how to how to buy haunted objects on the internet and the most famous haunted objects ever bought on the internet. Oh, fuck me <laughs> sideways. At this moment, do you want this everyone is, to hear? This is... Oh, my God. Is this your nightmare? I hate this so much. Awesome. I'm so excited. (laughs) You made me read a scary story about demon spirits under the moon when we were out camping. So you're going to read The Haunted Doll's House. (laughs) God. (laughs) Okay. So. 
I just want to get get out ahead of this. We are not endorsing purchasing haunted objects from people on Craigslist or Amazon or eBay or wherever the else fuck you um, sell these Do you these remember things. that scary box thing we, we did up at your uncle and aunt's cabin with oh, that yes. doll in yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It, cre- it was a puppet, not a doll. I literally locked it in the trunk of our car because I, I was know. like, that thing is going to kill us in, in the night. <laughs> I, I, just, I think it's important to point out it was a puppet, not a doll. It was a puppet, a puppet and it was not okay. A puppet is a doll that can talk. Ex- yeah, because that's not terrifying. <laughs> All right, so uh, I basically the first two I'm going to tell you are the two most famous haunted objects bought on eBay. Um, okay. Because eBay is not scary enough. Uh, so the first one was a painting called "The Hands Resist Him." I think and I've heard of this. Yes, it's very famous. You've probably I'm going to show it to you real quick. Yeah. Yeah. You've that's, seen it. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. I will put it. We'll put it in the. We'll put a link to this page in the uh, show notes so yeah. you can go check it out yourself. There is actually a reverse to this painting too that is supposedly also haunted. It's the view from inside the store where you just see the silhouettes of the kids. No. And it's Why also, would you do that? Also terrifying and apparently also haunted. But this one, this one sold on eBay. This episode's gonna make me feel really icky, isn't it? <laughs> so. <laughs> So based on a real life photograph from the artist uh, um, Bill Stoneham, who painted this, it is uh, it is a time when he was five years old. So it's like a picture of him. It's a self-portrait? Yes. Uh. <laughs> it depicts a young boy and a doll in front of a glass door with a disembodied hand in the background. Whoa, 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 wait a second. That other thing is a doll? Yeah. Look at the girl. That's not a person. I know. Oh, God, I thought that was supposed to be his little sister or something. It's it's a real creepy, and it looks like she's holding, like, an aerosol spray can of death or something. Um, So, (laughs) I hate this. A California couple found the painting in an abandoned brewery in February 2000. So, it's a rescue. It is a rescue painting. And not long after they brought it home, they listed it on eBay. They listed on eBay with a dire warning to buyers that said, quote, this painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that could impact or change your life. <laughs> they claimed their daughter told them that the boy and girl from the painting would fight with each other at night. The ad also mentioned that at one point, the boy seemingly exited the picture, which is when they decided to sell it. <laughs> I've seen Chucky. Yeah. So apparently the dad set up a camera at night to like prove to the boy that nothing was, there was nothing to be afraid of. Right. And the video captured this like thing, like shadow coming out of the painting in the middle of the night. And that's the, that's when they decided to list it because dad was like, uh, uh. So they sold it for $1,025 to the Kim Smith gallery in Michigan and she revealed that she's received emails from people who have claimed they were repulsed or became physically ill just by viewing a photo of the painting. So well, I'm so glad we just looked at that. In fairness, that's a little bit how I felt. <laughs> but mainly like in person when they're like sure, standing yeah, yeah. in front of it. But, you know, um, so we'll put that up there. So if you're interested in that painting, check it out. So if you want to feel physically ill, check out the pictures we've posted recently. Yeah. So then there's another phenomenon on eBay, which is called a Dubuque box. So this is actually, th- this one is called the Dubuque box because it's the most famous, but it's a uh, Dubuque or Dubuque. Um, it's a term from Jewish folklore. 
and that describes a dead person's soul that is stuck in purgatory is the is the like well this is what, charming yes isn't it so this is the container i'm going to show you it looks like a you know like a little side cabinet yeah it, yeah, like, it's harmless like, enough. Again, we're going to put this on in the show notes. Harmless enough, he Harmle- says, with fear and terror in his soul. <laughs> so it really looks like an old, like, almost like a entryway cabinet that you'd be able to put some things in and set things on, like your mail key and stuff. So this one looks innocent enough, as it says, but it's far from it. So uh, supposedly these objects can, so they can inhabit the body of a spirit. It's like, for whatever reason. So the seller on eBay claimed that he bought this at an estate sale in Oregon and was specifically told, do not open it, whatever he did. (laughs) Intending to refinish it, he kept the box in the basement of his workshop and opened it up. His assistant said she began hearing noises from the basement and that all the lights had gone out. So he went down to investigate and found out all 300 light bulbs had been smashed in the basement. The basement also reeked of cat urine. He had never owned a cat. The assistant also quit and never returned to work. Well, that's fair. Not associating any of this odd stuff with the box. (laughs) He gifted this to his mother after he refurbished it. Sure, naturally. She immediately suffered a major stroke. When she received the box. Probably terrified by the demon cat that lived in the box. (laughs) In the hospital, she wrote out, because she died. In the hospital, before she passed away, she wrote out, hate gift. (laughs) Like, in all capital letters. Also found out that anyone who had come in contact with the box had, had recurring similar nightmares. And they saw shadowy figures around the house. That also uh, inspired a famous horror film from 1912 called The Possession. <laughs> Yipe. Yeah, so the, the, the sort of the Occam's razor explanation to this haunted box yeah. is that there was just a really pissed off cat who lived yeah, in it. that just killed people. And, and everywhere it went, like, <laughs> smashed all the light bulbs, made the house smell like cat urine, and gave people scared, strokes and heart attacks. people. Yeah, I mean, who knows, but... So those are the two most famous. And then what I did is I Googled on eBay famous haunted things. So I found a doll. No. <laughs> no. That it says, Don't. warning, real haunted demon doll, active, possessed, creepy, scary, spooky spirit. It is listed for $575. No, I don't like it. I'm going to read you the description <laughs> so you can go buy it because it's currently available on eBay. Um Welcome to my shop. Take a look at this haunted doll and other dolls we have for sale. So this is an active demon doll and does communicate often with a spirit board, as well as make spooky noises such as growling. It's currently being locked and kept in a cage until purchased. Okay, so there's a <laughs> raccoon trapped inside this doll. I love that all your uh, your um, explanations are there are animals trapped inside. I j- it's Hey, I need to sleep at night. Uh, you know, that's that's fair. So per eBay, I, I state that this is a tangible item, not for sale. And this is a, this is a disclaimer. And we are not responsible for any paranormal activity that may or may not occur. Thank you for looking. <laughs> and then it has a list to their check out some favorite haunted dolls on their website. So, yeah, if you want to check that out. What's um, the doll's name? Uh, ooh, I don't know if it has a name. I don't think they've named it. Oh, 
Well, if they're his, just going the to turn around and sell it, then. The guy selling it is named Benjamin. <laughs> All right. Well, Benjamin, that's messed up. That's pretty fucked. <laughs> so then, finally, uh, I just wanted to say, like, if you're looking to purchase a haunted item, proceed with caution. But there are plenty available on the Internet for your spooky pleasure. You're just a click away. So now we're going to have Ken read <laughs> The Haunted Doll's House by M.R. James. Good Lord. And if you want to hear more about M.R. James, uh, I'll try to put a couple of links to one we've read him before. Yeah, in the, yeah. The he's a very thing. interesting fella. Um, um, really cool dude who wrote a lot of like ghost stories and Yeah, shit. he was famous for his ghost stories. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of right. ghost stories. <laughs> Let's do this thing. <laughs> The Haunted Doll's House by M.R. James I suppose you get stuff of that kind through your hands pretty often, said Mr. Dillett, as he pointed with his stick to an object which shall be described when the time comes. Don't point with your stick, that's rude. (laughs) (laughs) And when he said it, he lied in his throat, and knew that he lied. Not once in twenty years, perhaps not once in a lifetime, could Mr. Chittenden, skilled as he was in ferreting out the forgotten treasures of half a dozen countries, expect to handle such a specimen. It was Collector's Palaver. Collector's Palaver. Um, I believe it's a type of conversation. I believe so too. Unnecessary, elaborate, or complex procedure historical and improvised conference between two groups. So yeah. yeah, a talk talk unproductively at length. So it's like small talk. Small talk and he's trying he's Collector's trying small talk. He's trying to bid down the price. Yeah. Cool. It was collector's palaver and Mr. Chittenden recognized it as such. Stuff of that kind, Mr. Dillett. It's a museum piece that is. Well, I suppose there are museums that'll take anything. <laughs> Rude. I've seen one not as good as that years back, said Mr. Chittenden thoughtfully, but that's not likely to come into the market, and I'm told they have some fine ones of the period over the water. No, I'm only telling you the truth, Mr. Dillett. When I say that if you was to place an unlimited order with me for the very best that could be got, and you know I have facilities... Yep. And you know I have facilities for getting to know... A fucking dialects Fine. in writing. Dialects. You're welcome. And you know I have facilities for getting to know of such things and a reputation to maintain... Well, all I can say is, I should lead you straight up to that one and say, I can't do no better for you than that, sir. Hear, hear, said Mr. Dillett, applauding ironically with the end of his stick on the floor of the <laughs> shop. Well, hats off to your lady Mr. friends. Mr. Dillett. <laughs> Good Lord, you're pointing it? You're using it as a kickstand? Like, what you <laughs> How much are you sticking the innocent American buyer for it, eh? Oh, no. These skeezy British guys are sitting here like, we're going to sell this Going around sticking thing. Americans. Well, you know, you know what? I wasn't intending this to be political, but <laughs> here we go. <laughs> 
Oh, I shan't be overawed on the buyer, American or otherwise. You see, it stands this way, Mr. Dillett. If I knew just a bit more about the pedigree, or just a bit less, Mr. Dillett put in, <laughs> you will have your jokes, sir. No, but as I was saying, if I knew just a little more than what I do about the piece, though anyone can see for themselves it's a genuine thing, every last corner of it, and there's not been one of my men allowed to so much as touch it since it came into the shop, there'd be another figure in the price I'm asking. Ew. <laughs> and what's that? Five and twenty? Multiply that by three, and you've got it, sir. Seventy-five's my price, Ooh. and fifty's mine," said Mr. Dillett. Oh, it's like they're doing like um um uh what's the this the, where they refurbish things and they see who can sell it for the highest price. What's the uh, flea market flip? So he's like, I can sell it for seventy-five. I'm gonna sell it for fifty. All right, let's see who can do it. <laughs> the point of agreement was, of course, somewhere between the two. It does not matter exactly where, I think 60 guineas. But half an hour later, the object was being packed, and within an hour, Mr. Dillett had called for it in his car and driven away. Mr. Chittenden, holding the check in his hand, saw him off from the door with smiles and returned, still smiling, into the parlor where his wife was making tea. He stopped at the door. <laughs> it's gone, he said. Thank God for that, said Mrs. Chittenden, putting down the teapot. Mr. Dillett, was it? Yes, it was. Well, I'd sooner it was him than another. Oh, I don't know. He ain't a bad feller, my dear. Maybe not, but in my opinion, he'd be none the worse for a bit of a shake-up. Uh-oh. <laughs> She's like, who'd you sell the haunted thing to? Oh, him? Yeah, yeah it's well, okay. he deserves what he He's gets. He's kind of a twat. <laughs> Like, he's not a bad guy, but, you know, I also don't really like him. Don't, don't love him. It's okay if he gets a little freaked out. Yeah. Well, if that's your opinion, it's my opinion he's put himself into a way of getting one. Anyhow, we shan't have any more of it. And that's something to be thankful for. <sighs> and so, Mr. and Mrs. Chittenden sat down to tea. And what of Mr. Dillett and of his new acquisition? What it was, uh, the title of this story will have told you. <laughs> what it was like, I shall have to indicate as well as I can. Oh, no. <laughs> what a fun setup. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's, That's a great opening. Fabulous. He always does. I love I love his style. Right. He's his writing is always so like cinematic. Yes. Like I can I can immediately see adapting it into a film yes. or like or a it's, play it, or a, we even talked about that after like a couple of the stories a couple like, of the wailing them, yeah. well i'm like i can see this movie yeah like, it's, it's it's so clear it he he writes i like i feel like today he would be a be horror a film writer oh, yeah. he would be, He'd a be like a stephen king like film because yeah. they're they they're often set up with a little scene like that in the beginning that's like the um the prelude, the the, the the like the action sequence that happens before the credits roll. Yeah, right. Because then it's like the haunted doll's house, and then you see Mister Dillett driving away yeah. with the dollhouse. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Mister Dillett uh, has a little doll's house in his car, 
Uh, and he and his driver are headed are home, presumably. Headed, headed away. And that's where we are. There was only just room enough for it in the car. Then Mr. Dillett had to sit with the driver. He, oh, so it's not so little a doll's house. It's no, quite large. It's, it, I mean, either that or it's a tiny car, but oh, I'm going to yeah. go with big doll's house. I also imagine him now sitting on the driver's lap while they're driving. <laughs> like, he's just like, excuse me, I must sit here. Thank you. It's, it's not bucket seats in the front. It's a... Um, it's like a, a couch, like a love seat. But, uh, <laughs> like, so he has to sit in the middle, squeezed yeah. up right next to the driver because, like, the turret of the dollhouse is like sticking into the passenger the seat in the yeah. front. It's like, okay, sorry, yeah. sir. Let, we're going to get very close. There was only just room enough for it in the car, and Mr. Dillett had to sit with the driver. He had also to go slow, for though the rooms of the doll's house had all been stuffed carefully with soft cotton wool, jolting was to be avoided. In view of the immense number of small objects which thronged them. And the ten-mile drive was an anxious time for him, in spite of all the precautions he insisted upon. At last, his front door was reached, and Collins, the butler, came out. Okay, so this guy's pretty rich. This guy's got money. He tried to talk down the, like, Cockney antique the seller. antique dealer, yeah. Even though he p- clearly has a driver and a butler, yep. so he could have afforded the 75. Yep. So, yeah, he deserves to be haunted. I'm, I'm also thinking, based on the brief conversation that we heard from between the Chittendons, that uh, this antiques dealer would have happily gotten rid of it for 15 Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. He was like, I, I'm i going to up-price it because, you know, it's very pretty, but I want the fuck out of my room. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. Look here, Collins. You must help me with this thing. It's a delicate job. We must get it out upright, see? It's full of little things that mustn't be displaced more than we can help. Let's see. Where shall we have it? After a pause for consideration. Really, I think I shall have to put it in my own room (laughs) to begin with, at any rate. On the big table. That's it. Yeah. It was conveyed, with much talking, to Mr. Dillett's spacious room on the first floor, looking out on the drive. The sheeting was unwound from it and the front thrown open, and for the next hour or two, Mr. Dillett was fully occupied in extracting the padding and setting in order the contents of the rooms. There's also something very funny about this adult man... Who lives alone in his big house with his butler that now has acquired a, a, doll's, a doll's house, house. that he is unpacking for his own amusement. Yep. <laughs> like, he has now bought a doll's house. Yeah. Not for his daughter, not for his wife, not for his son, well, not for presumably. his, like, niece or nephew. Well, yeah, I mean... We, we I haven't met anyone we else. We haven't met anyone else, but right now it seems like he's a bachelor yeah. who likes to play with doll's house. And you know what? More Good power you, to dude. him. Good for you. Good for you. Like, live your best life, my man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing this is not about to become your best life, but... Probably not. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's going to become a very interesting life. When this thoroughly congenial task was finished, I must say that it would have been difficult to find a more perfect and attractive specimen of a doll's house in Strawberry Hill Gothic than that which now stood on Mr. Dillett's large knee-hole table, lighted up by the evening sun which came slanting through three tall sash windows. It was quite six feet long, including the chapel or oratory which flanked the front of the left as you faced it. Oh, so it did. It did, like, 
come forward, like the chapel yep. kind of thrust out, so it had to like sit in the front of the. the yep. Yeah, you're took, right. up, took up the whole damn car. Six All right. feet. That wouldn't fit in my freaking beetle. No. <laughs> Jesus. Certainly not if you had a passenger. Yeah, that's crazy. The main block of the house was, as I have said, in the Gothic manner. That is to say, the windows had pointed arches and were surmounted by what are called Ogival? Ogival hoods? Ogival hoods? Looking that up. I'm guessing that's an architectural term. Uh, With crockets and finials, such as we see on canopies of tombs built into church walls. Yeah, it's a term for, okay, uh, you see it a lot in uh, old cathedrals. An ogival is a rounded, tapered end of a two-dimensional or three-dimensional object. Ogival curves in the ribs of gothic vaulting. So it's like uh, the ceiling. Almost like, it looks like the bottom of like a boat, but it's the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like arced and with and lots it does, of lines. It, it comes to that point, but not quite a sharp point. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh... So very gothic architecture. Yeah. Surmounted by what are called Ogaville hoods with crockets and finials, such as we see on the canopies of tombs built into church walls. At the angles were absurd turrets covered with arched panels. The chapel had pinnacles and buttresses and a bell in the turret and colored glass in the windows. This is a creepy doll's house already. And like, this is an elaborate doll's house. I'm like, ew, I don't want a doll's house with a creepy chapel in it. <laughs> like, when the front of the house was open, you saw four large rooms, bedroom, dining room, drawing room, and kitchen, each with its appropriate furniture in a very complete state. The stable on the right... Jesus. was in two stories what? with its proper complement of horses, coaches, and grooms and with its clock and gothic cupola for a clock bell. Good lord. <laughs> this is a bougie Barbie yep. dream house right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. This is like Barbie moves to England. <laughs> this yeah, is this like definitely feels D- Princess also Princess Diana's dollhouse. A little too complete. Like I'm finding yeah. myself going, "All right, what witch miniaturized an actual yes, estate?" Absolutely, and, like yeah. shrunk it down yeah. and trapped the souls in there. Like so, there there's real people living in this house. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen this Doctor Who episode. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> Pages, of course, might be written on the outfit of the mansion. How many frying pans? How many gilt chairs? What? Pictures, carpets, chandeliers, four posters, table linen, glass, crockery, and plate it possessed. But all this must be left to the imagination. I will only say that the base or plinth on which the house stood, for it was fitted with one of some depth, which allowed for a flight of steps to the front door and the terrace, partly balustrated, contained a shallow drawer or drawers in which were neatly stored sets of embroidered curtains, changes of raiment for the inmates, and, in short, all the materials for an infinite series of variations and refittings of the most absorbing and delightful kind. Okay, so we have yet to see any dolls, by the way. Um, well, there just are... How, well, there's, like, changes of clothes there, and stuff. There are... Um, there's grooms. grooms. Yeah, there's 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 dudes in the in the stable. Yeah. But 
As far as I can tell, I thought the dolls were gonna be were gonna be at the drawers. When you said there were drawers, I'm be like, oh my god, here here we go. Instead, dolls it's just, live in a creepy ass little crypt underneath the house. Yeah, right. Um, instead, it's the uh, redecorating uh, That's the, <laughs> tools. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's fall. Let's put up the fall colors. Yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas. Time Here's a Christmas to, tree. Time to close up the West Wing for the season. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah. much like that. <laughs> Quintessence of Horace Walpole. That's what it is. He must have had something to do with the making of it. Such was Mr. Dillett's murmured reflection as he knelt before it in reverent ecstasy. Simply wonderful! This is my day and no mistake. Five hundred pound coming in this morning for that cabinet which I never cared about, and now this tumbling into my hands for a tenth at the very most, and what it would fetch in town. Well, well, it almost makes one afraid something will happen to counter it. <laughs> Let's have a look at the population anyhow. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, he knows this is too good to be true. Spoilers, dude. <laughs> Accordingly, he set them before him in a row. Here Again, here is an opportunity which some would snatch at of making an inventory of costumes. I am incapable of it. Because all the dolls were naked. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nudist colony dollhouse. (laughs) That's where it starts to get weird. It wasn't, but it will be once Mr. Dillett's done playing with them. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It's like when we were kids and we make Barbies hump. (laughs) I definitely did that. (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) Sometimes Barbie hung out with G.I. Joe. (laughs) And, you know. (laughs) She was into shorter men. She was, but you know, military men. She likes men in uniform. Man in uniform, short, but like, like stacked, jacked. muscular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super um, into it. <laughs> what was rough is that I'm fairly certain GI Joe couldn't take his pants and off. To be fair, Barbie had no actual genitalia. She, yeah, anatomically, and did Ken. <laughs> anatomically ill-equipped. My favorite thing um, to do backstage during shows when I'm wearing like dance tights is I usually have like a nude thong underneath my like dance tights. So I'll just lift up my skirt and walk around and go, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> I do that backstage at Footloose all the time. <laughs> it's really funny because like you can't see anything. It just looks like an, a, a Barbie doll. Yeah. Because <laughs> I walk around like, and then like other people would do it with me and we're like, Bobby's. Yes, this is what I do. This is what I get paid. I'm, is, uh, I'm a professional. This is what life in the theater is like. <laughs> um... The, the first day I was, I don't even remember who it was who said it, but uh, the first day I was all in costume for this show, had my hair all combed, looking very 1950s, and someone came up to me and was like, Ken, you look like a Ken doll. <laughs> and, like, I know it wasn't the most appropriate response, but my first response was, but anatomically better equipped. <laughs> Just so we get that out of the way. <laughs> I know that it does not matter. In this situation, at least, but well, just, just to be clear, just going to let you know that we're all we're all good downstairs. <laughs> there were a gentleman and lady in blue satin and brocade, respectively. There were two children, a boy and a girl. There was a cook, a nurse, a footman, and there were the stable servants, two postilions, a coachman, two grooms. Anyone else? Yes, possibly. <laughs> Like he's like going through the drawers, like ooh, ooh, what kind of dolls do I play with today? In in my head, this guy just became um Edwin. 
Oh yes! Oh my God! From yeah. from Mary Poppins. From Ma- and the man the who voice. laughs in Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love to laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's also the voice of the Mad Hatter yeah. in the Alice in yeah, Wonderland, very, among many other many, things. Many, many things. But yes, I because we just saw Mary Poppins, we yeah. looked him up, and yeah, I can absolutely see this because yep. he's very excited by little silly things. Like, Anyone else? Yes, like, possibly. <laughs> the curtains of the four poster in the bedroom were closely drawn round all four sides of it. And he put his finger in between them and felt in the bed. Dangerous. He drew the finger back hastily, for it almost seemed to him as if something had not stirred, perhaps, but yielded in an odd, live way as he pressed it. Then he put back the curtains, which ran on rods in the proper manner, and extracted from the bed a white-haired old gentleman with a long linen nightdress and cap, and laid him down by the rest. The tale was complete. Oh my god, it's Ebenezer Scrooge! <laughs> Dinner time was now near, so Mr. Dillett spent but five minutes in putting the lady and children into the drawing room, and the gentleman into the dining room the servants into the kitchen and stables and the old man back into his bed. Because that's where old men belong. Yep. He retired into his dressing room next door and we see and hear no more of him until something like 11 o'clock at night. Oh, God. (laughs) His whim was to sleep surrounded by some of the gems of his collection. The big room in which we have seen him contained his bed, bath, wardrobe, and all the appliances of dressing were in the... Gonna take that sentence again. You got it. Anything that has colons and semicolons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta always, love Always gotta, gotta, gotta love take it. extra care of the colon. Yep. <laughs> that is good. You know, you gotta flush it out. The big room in which we have seen him contained his bed, bath, wardrobe, and all the appliances of dressing were in a commodious room adjoining. But his four-poster, which itself was a valued treasure, stood in the large room where he sometimes wrote and after sat and even received visitors. Tonight, he repaired to it in a highly complacent frame of mind. There was no striking clock within earshot. None on the staircase, none in the stable, none in the distant church tower. Yet it is indisputable that Mr. Dillett was startled out of a very pleasant slumber by a bell tolling one. It's the ghost of Christmas past. Um, do you know what this has suddenly become what? with the narration? is an episode of the Twilight Zone. It is. It's very Twilight Zone. Like the style of the narration. Yeah. We last saw him. Yeah. He was not seen again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, until 11 yeah. o'clock. Flash for- well, again, cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred uh, Hitchcock presents very much the same sort of feel. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is inc- like very much ahead of his time yeah. in that style. It's really cool. He was so much startled that he did not merely lie breathless with wide open eyes, but actually sat up in his bed. He never asked himself till the morning hours how it was that though there was no light at all in the room, the doll's house on the knee-hole table stood out with complete clearness. But it was so. The effect was that of a bright harvest moon shining full on the front of the big white stone mansion, a quarter of a mile away it might be, and yet every detail was photographically sharp. There were trees about it, too, 
trees rising behind the chapel and the house. He seemed to be conscious of the scent of a cool, still September night. He thought he could hear an occasional stamp and click from the stables as of horses stirring, and with another shock he realized that above the house he was looking not at the wall of his room with its pictures, but into the profound blue of a night sky. Ooh. There were lights, more than one, in the windows, and he quickly saw that this was no four-roomed house with a movable front, but one of many rooms and staircases, a real house, but seen as if through the wrong end of a telescope. You mean to show me something? He muttered to himself as he gazed earnestly on the lighted windows. Ew, he's already talking to it. <laughs> it's not good. They would in real life have been shuttered or curtained, no doubt, he thought, but as it was, there was nothing to intercept his view of what was being transacted inside the rooms. Ew. Two rooms were lighted, one on the ground floor on the right of the door, one upstairs on the left. The first brightly enough, the other rather dimly. The lower room was the dining room. The table was laid, but the meal was over, and only wine and glasses were left on the table. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> the man of the blue satin and the woman of the brocade were alone in the room, and they were talking very earnestly, seated close together at the table, their elbows on it, every now and again stopping to listen. Their as elbows were on the table? What kind How of manners rude. do these dolls what have? monsters. <laughs> Disgusting. Once he rose, came to the window, and opened it, then he put his head out and his hand to his ear. There was a lighted taper in a silver candlestick on the sideboard. When the man left the window, he seemed to leave the room also, and the lady, taper in hand, remained standing and listening. The expression on her face was that of one striving her utmost to keep down a fear that threatened to master her and succeeding. It was a hateful face, too. Broad, flat, and sly. <laughs> oh, now the man came back, and she took some small thing from him and hurried out of the room. He, too, disappeared, but only for a moment or two. The front door slowly opened, and he stepped out and stood on the top of the perron. Also looks like some sort of uh, architectural it's it's going to be some version of balcony or patio or an exterior set of steps and a platform at the main entrance of a large building such as a church or a mansion yep great the front door slowly opened and he stepped out and stood on the top of the perron looking this way and that then turned towards the upper window that was lighted and shook his fist <laughs> God. Well, I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. This is creepy. <laughs> it was time to look at that upper window. Through it was seen a four-post bed, a nurse or other servant in an armchair evidently sound asleep. In the bed, an old man lying, awake, and one would say anxious, from the way in which he shifted about and moved his fingers, beating tunes on the coverlet. Beyond the bed, a door opened. Light was seen on the ceiling, and the lady came in. 
She set down her candle on the table, came to the fireside, and roused the nurse. In her hand, she had an old-fashioned wine bottle, ready uncorked. The nurse took it, poured some of the contents into a little silver saucepan, added some spice and sugar from casters on the table, and set it to warm on the fire. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Well, she's making spiced mulled like wine. Like mulled wine for this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, In but, apparently imaginary September, which is yeah, great. This is odd and very detailed. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were going to poison the old man, but let's They find still out. might. They still might be. They might just be hiding hiding the flavor of the poison in the spice and in the sugar. In the spice and the sugar. Meanwhile, the old man in the bed beckoned feebly to the lady who came to him, smiling, took his wrist as if to feel his pulse, and bit her lip as if in consternation. He looked at her anxiously and then pointed to the window and spoke. She nodded and did as the man below had done, opened the casement, Ugh. and listened perhaps rather ostentatiously, then drew in her head and shook it, looking at the old man, who seemed to sigh. Oh, God. They're all aware of this other, like, reality outside. Yeah. And, like, it's very creepy. <laughs> yep. By this time, the posit on the fire was steaming, and the nurse poured it into a small two-handled silver bowl and brought it to the bedside. The old man seemed disinclined for it and was waving it away, but the lady and the nurse together bent over him and evidently pressed it upon him. He must have yielded, for they supported him into a sitting position and put it to his lips. He drank most of it in several drafts, and they laid him down. Yeah, get him a little wasted and like, go bed now. That'll make him feel better. Hot wine. Go to bed. The lady left the room, smiling goodnight to him, and took the bowl, the bottle, and the silver saucepan with her. The nurse returned to the chair, and there was an interval of complete quiet. Suddenly, the old man started up in his bed. I actually just jumped when you said suddenly. I was like, <laughs> I went, huh. <laughs> like, Good writing. Yep. Suddenly, the old man started up in his bed, and he must have uttered some cry, for the nurse started out of her chair and made but one step of it to the bedside. He was a sad and terrible sight, flushed in the face almost to blackness, the eyes glaring whitely, both hands clutching at his heart, foam at his lips. See? They did poison him! Oh, shit! <laughs> for a moment, the nurse left him, ran to the door, flung it wide open and, one supposes, screamed aloud for help, then darted back to the bed and seemed to try feverishly to soothe him, to lay him down, anything. But as the lady, her husband, and several servants rushed into the room with horrified faces, the old man collapsed under the nurse's hands and lay back, and the features, contorted with agony and rage, relaxed slowly into calm. Oh. A few moments later, light showed out to the left of the house, and a coach with flambeau drove up to the door. A white-wigged man in black got nimbly out and ran up the steps, carrying a small leather trunk-shaped box. The doctor's here! The doctor's here! He was met in the doorway by the man and his wife. She with her handkerchief clutched between her hands, he with a tragic face but retaining his self-control. 
They led the newcomer into the dining room, where he set his box of papers on the table and, turning to them, listened with a face of consternation at what they had to tell. He nodded his head again and again, threw out his hands slightly, declined, it seemed, offers of refreshment and lodging for the night, and within a few minutes came slowly down the steps, entering the coach and driving off the way he had come. As the man in blue watched him from the top of the steps, a smile, not pleasant to see, stole slowly over his fat white face. Darkness fell over the whole scene as the lights of the coach disappeared. Okay, that was the creepiest fucking mime show I've ever heard. Like, because we haven't heard anything except a couple screams. Well, and we haven't even heard the screams. No, it's, it's just, just like, like they make the scream. Like, yeah, like, yeah, it's the silent oh, scream thing. That's terrifying. It's just like, oh my God. <laughs> But Mr. Dillett remained sitting up in his bed. He had rightly guessed that there would be a sequel. (laughs) The house front glimmered out again before long. But now there was a difference. The lights were in other windows, one at the top of the house, the other illuminating the range of colored windows of the chapel. How he saw through these was not quite obvious, but he did. The interior was as carefully furnished as the rest of the establishment, with its minute red cushions on the desks, its gothic stall canopies, and its western gallery and pinnacled organ with gold pipes. (laughs) There's a glorious pinnacled organ. Gold pinnacled organ. (laughs) Yeah. Gotta get the dick jokes in there when yep. they're there. Oh, yeah, 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 when they're around. <laughs> Especially when it's a story that's too engaging to break Too engaging to break. It's like freaking me out. And then I'm like, I hear a pinnacle organ. <laughs> so there's a giant in the middle of the house. In the middle of the chapel. That's, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a pagan chapel, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> to the fertility god. Yes, right. <laughs> on the center of the black and white pavement was a beer. Four tall candles burned on the corners. Oh, like a beer as in B-I-E-R. B-I-E-R. There was not a pint of lager. I was like, I, I, does, I took a sip of water right as you said, there was a pint of beer. I went, wow, that's cool. A pint of beer in the chapel that is, uh, the centerpiece is a giant gold penis. This is my kind of church, y'all. Welcome to the Church of Dionysus. Ex- well, yeah, exactly. Sweet. And we're getting a play. So it really is the Church of Dionysus. Yeah. <laughs> no, beer as in... Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. For a dead body. <laughs> yes. Uh, where was I? So on the center of the black and white pavement was a beer. Four tall candles burned at the corners. On the beer was a coffin covered with a pall of black velvet. Uh-oh. As he looked, the folds of the pall stirred. It seemed to rise at one end. It slid downwards. It fell away, exposing the black coffin with its silver handles and nameplate. One of the tall candlesticks swayed and toppled over. Ask no more, but turn, as Mr. Dillett hastily did, and look in at the lighted window at the top of the house, where a boy and girl lay in two truckle beds and a four-poster for the nurse rose above them. The nurse was not visible for the moment, but the father and mother were there, dressed now in mourning, 
but with very little sign of mourning in their demeanor. <laughs> oh, shit. Indeed, they were laughing and talking with a good deal of animation, sometimes to each other and sometimes throwing a remark to one or other of the children and again laughing at the answers. Then the father was seen to go on tiptoe out of the room, taking with him as he went a white garment that hung on a peg near the door. He shut the door after him. A minute or two later, it was slowly opened again, and a muffled head poked round it. A bent form of sinister shape stepped across to the truckle beds and suddenly stopped, threw up its arms, and revealed, of course, the father, laughing. What a dick! <laughs> he put a ghost sheet on and was like, Grandpa's back! Grandpa's back! <laughs> what the fuck, man? I hope this mom and dad get it. <laughs> the children were in agonies of terror. You think? The boy with the bedclothes over his head, the girl throwing herself out of bed into her mother's arms. <laughs> and they both peed themselves. Probably. That was my little addition, yes. dear listener. <laughs> I mean, I would have probably peed a little bit. Attempts at consolation followed. The parents took the children on their laps. Not a great plan if they just peed themselves. <laughs> patted them, picked up the white gown, and showed that there was no harm in it, and so forth. And at last, putting the children back into bed, left the room with encouraging waves of the hand. As they left it, the nurse came in, and soon the light died okay, down. I want to talk about these parents. That is not good parenting right there, because one, I'm assuming y'all just poisoned grandpa, and then so it's, to, what it's, to help the children deal with the death of grandpa that they knew nothing about, they pretend to be haunted grandpa. So they are both bad children and bad parents. Yes. Yes, because I'm assuming one of them was that man's child. Yeah. And now they're terrifying their children. <laughs> awesome. And putting them to bed without changing the sheets after, after they, they peed they themselves. Peed themselves. <laughs> okay that's the nurse's which job just, which is just bad hygiene that's okay mary poppins is coming in she'll, <laughs> she'll figure it out still mr dillett watched immovable i mean how could you turn away from this like i would be terrified and frozen at the same time i'll tell you how you turn away from it you set the little house on fire and throw it out of the front lawn that's how you do it <laughs> no 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 you cannot so that is actually like a big thing with haunted objects you do not want to light them on fire it tends to just release the spirit and then it goes into something else. Like that is actually like, it doesn't kill it. It actually like releases it. Okay, so you bring it. You sell it to somebody else is what you do. You get on eBay and you go, I have a haunted dollhouse. 75 shillings or whatever you bought it for. 60 guineas, but 60, who's counting? 60 guineas. Well, make a profit. You might as well make a profit while you're selling the scary thing that's in your house. <laughs> Or, 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 you bring it to a pawn shop and set it on fire there. <laughs> well, I think that's how objects become haunted. Right, no, but I'm saying that way, like, you no, know it, you, don't, you don't have the unless, haunted thing anymore. Unless the spirit goes into you, and then you yourself are possessed. No, so you, you set a candle underneath it so it doesn't, like, <laughs> set on fire immediately. You set it on fire outside a pawn shop and, and run. just run the fuck away. This sounds like a great idea. You definitely won't get arrested for arson and like fucking like 
I don't even know because it's not thievery because you left something. You didn't yeah. take something. But well, you and you leave it, it you leave fire. it you leave it out front, not inside. So it's not arson. Worst case scenario, it's like illegal burning of trash. <laughs> Small fine. And now the thing is gone, and there's like a you haunted guitar where, in the pawn shop. You don't shop. know where the spirit is, and you might buy that thing one day. No, you just never buy anything from a and, pawn shop or ever again. Or never buy anything ever again. <laughs> At least not on haunted eBay. Actually, I feel like I just go to pawn shops from then on buying guitars, because a haunted guitar sounds kind of cool. I mean, yeah, I guess it depends on what's, what's haunting it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would probably just play me music all night long. Yeah. I mean, the music might drive me insane, but or at least I'd get a free to fall concert off every the night. Wall or try and fall on your head or something oh, like if yeah, it's a, de- if it's a bad cool. spirit. Yeah, yeah. You, I just, you know, as much as I love the paranormal, I would like to keep the haunted objects out of my uh, general vicinity and my like comfort of my house. Is this a bad time to tell you that I bought you that painting? I fucking from the hate fun you. Facts? I don't think it's for sale. I think it's in a museum now. Oh. Everything is for sale if you offer enough money. (laughs) A new sort of light, not of lamp or candle, a pale, ugly light, began to dawn around the door case at the back of the room. The door was opening again. The seer does not like to dwell upon what he saw entering the room. He says it might be described as a frog the size of a man, but it had scanty white hair about its head. It was busy about the truckle beds, but not for long. The sound of cries, faint as if coming out of a vast distance, but even so infinitely appalling, reached the ear. There were signs of a hideous commotion all over the house. Lights moved along and up and doors opened and shut, and running figures passed within the windows. The clock in the stable turret told one. Again, one and is And darkness scary. fell again. It was only dispelled once more to show the house front. At the bottom of the steps, dark figures were drawn up in two lines holding flaming torches. More dark figures came down the steps, bearing first one, then another (gasps) small coffin. The kids are dead? And the lines Ah! of torchbearers with the coffins between them moved silently onward to the left. Ew, what? What happened to the kids? The frog ate them? Grandpa Frog came back and killed the kids. Yeah. The hours of night passed on, never so slowly, Mr. Dillett thought. Gradually, he sank down from sitting to lying in his bed, but he did not close an eye. And early next morning, he sent for the doctor. The doctor found him in a disquieting state of nerves and recommended sea air to a quiet place on the East Coast. He accordingly repaired by easy stages in his car. That's, that is such a doctor of this time. One of the first people who met him on the seafront was Mr. Chittenden. Fuck! Who, it appeared, had likewise been advised to take his wife away for a bit of a change. So you both got fucking haunted by demons, and now you must go to the sea. (laughs) See? The sea is healing. Mr. Chittenden looked somewhat askance upon him as they met, and not without cause. (laughs) It's like, sorry, dude. (laughs) 
Well, I don't wonder at you being a bit upset, Mr. Dillett. What? Yes, well, I might say horrible upset, to be sure, seeing that me and my poor wife went through ourselves. But I put it to you, Mr. Dillett, one or two things. Was I going to scrap a lovely piece like that on the one hand, or was I going to tell customers, I'm selling you a regular picture palace drama in real life of the olden time, built to perform regular at one o'clock a.m.? <laughs> Why, what would you have said yourself? And next thing you know, two justices of the peace in the back parlor and poor Mr. and Mrs. Chittendom off in a spring cart to the country asylum <laughs> and everyone on the street saying, Ah, I thought it'd come to that. Look at the way the man drank. And me, next door, uh, next door but one, to a total abstainer, as you know. Well, that was my position. What? Me have it back in the shop? <laughs> well, what do you think? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what I will do. You shall have your money back, bar the £10 I paid for it, and you make what you can. See, he did make money off yep. of it. <laughs> he paid £10 and he goes, I, 60, dude. I so, told you, I told you he'd probably have been happy with 15. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you can make a profit on your haunting. Yep. You're probably gonna have to pay for a cottage by the sea to recover. Later in the day, in what is offensively called the smoke room of the hotel, <laughs> a murmured conversation between the two went on for some time. How much do you really know about that thing and where it came from? Honestly, Mr. Dillett, I don't know the house. Of course, it came out of the lumber room from a country house that anyone could guess, but I'll go as far as say this that I believe it's not a hundred miles from this place. Which direction and how far I've no notion. I'm only judging by guesswork. The man as I actually paid the check to ain't one of my regular men, and I've lost sight of him. But I have an idea that this part of the country was his beat, and that's every word I can tell you. But now, Mr. Dillett, there's one thing that rather physics me. That old chap. I suppose you saw him drive up to the door. I thought so. Now, would he have been the medical man, do you take it? Well, my wife would have it so, but I stuck it to that it was the lawyer because he had papers with him and one he took out was folded up. It's like the insurance or the like the deed or the, the will or something, yeah. I agree, said Mr. Dillett. Thinking it over, I came to the conclusion that it was the old man's will ready to be signed. Yep. Just what I thought, said Mr. Chittenden. And I took it that will would have uh, cut out the young people, eh? Well, well, it's been a lesson to me, I know that. I shan't buy no more dollhouses, <laughs> nor waste no more money on the pictures. And as to this business of poisoning Grandpa, well... <laughs> I fucked up. If I know myself, I never had much of a turn for that. <laughs> live and let live, has been my motto throughout <laughs> life, and I ain't found it a bad one. <laughs> the moral of the story? Don't, Don't poison, poison Grandpa! grandpa. <laughs> Filled with these elevated sentiments, Mr. Chittenden retired to his lodgings. 
Mr. Dillett next day repaired to the local institute where he hoped to find some clue to the riddle that absorbed him. Oh, no. He gazed in despair at a long file of the Canterbury and York Society's publications of the parish registers in the district. No print resembling the house of his nightmare was among those that hung on the staircase and in the passages. Disconsolate, he found himself at last in a derelict room, staring at a dusty model of a church in a dusty glass case. Model of St. Stephen's Church, Coxham, presented by J. Merriweather Esquire of Ilbridge House, 1877. The work of his ancestor, James Merriweather, Mm-mm. died 1786. Yeah. There was something in the fashion of it that reminded him dimly of his horror. He retraced his steps to a wall map he had noticed and made out that Ilbridge House was in Coxham Parish. Coxham was, as it happened... He just keeps saying Coxham. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the towns in England and Bermuda and uh, Australia that are called Cockburn. Yep. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Should get that checked out. Yeah. Ouch. Never mind that it's actually pronounced Coburn. I... Don't ruin the play! (laughs) (laughs) It's Cockburn. And it's Cockham. Cockham. Coxham. Multiple cocks and ham. So it's... It's It's uh, Hamcock. It's uh, pigs and chicken. (laughs) Coxham. It's pig orgy. Coxham. Ooh! But it's ham, (laughs) making it a pig necrophilia orgy. Oh, ew. (laughs) It got weird. (laughs) Back to the scary story. That's where we try to take it. All right, cool. Just get to the weird. Just get to the weird. He retraced his steps to a wall map he had noticed and made out that Ilbridge House was in Coxham Parish. Coxham was, as it happened, one of the parishes of which he had retained the name when he glanced over the file of printed registers, and it was not long before he found in them the record of the burial of Roger Milford, age 76, Mm-mm. on the 11th of September, 1757, and of Roger and Elizabeth Merriweather, aged 9 and 7, on the 19th of the same month. Oh my God. It seemed worthwhile to follow up this clue, frail as it was, and in the afternoon he drove out to Coxham. No, 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 no! The east end of the north aisle of the church is a Milford chapel, and on its north wall are tablets to the same persons. Roger, the elder, it seems, was distinguished by all the qualities which adorn the father, the magistrate, and the man. The memorial was erected by his attached daughter, Elizabeth, who did not long survive the loss of a parent ever solicitous for her welfare and of two amiable children. Okay, so mom died not long after that. The last sentence was plainly an addition to the original inscription. Oh, God. And yet later Slab told of James Merriweather, husband of Elizabeth, who in the dawn of life practiced not without success those arts 
which, had he continued their exercise, might, in the opinion of the most competent judges, have earned him the name of the British Vitruvius, but who, overwhelmed by the visitation which deprived him of an affectionate partner and a blooming offspring, passed his prime and age in a secluded yet elegant retirement. His grateful nephew and heir indulges a pious sorrow by this too brief recital of his excellences. The children were more simply commemorated. Both died on the night of the 12th of September. Mr. Dillett felt sure that in Ilbridge House he had found the scene of his drama. In some old sketchbook, possibly in some old print, he may yet find convincing evidence that he is right. But the Ilbridge House of today is not that which he sought. It is an Elizabethan erection <laughs> of the 40s in red brick with stone quillon and dressings. A quarter of a mile from it, in a low part of the park, backed by ancient stag-horned, ivy-strangled trees and thick undergrowth, are marks of a terraced platform overgrown with rough grass. A few stone balusters lie here and there, and a heap or two covered with nettles and ivy of wrought stones with badly carved crockets. This, someone told Mr. Dillett, was the site of an older house. Mm. As he drove out of the village, the hall clock struck four, and Mr. Dillett started up and clapped his hands to his ears. It was not the first time he had heard that bell. Ew. Awaiting an offer from the other side of the Atlantic, the doll's house still reposes carefully sheeted in a loft over Mr. Dillett's stables, whither Collins conveyed it on the day when Mr. Dillett started for the seacoast. The End Okay, so again, we are not condoning that you buy haunted things on eBay or at antique stores or whatever because you may have to go sit by the sea. <laughs> Wait a second, remind me where the downside is? <laughs> because that's not how they, uh, um, that is not the prescription for a uh, mental breakdown anymore. <laughs> Back in the early 1900s, it was sea air should do the trick. Now it's like, um... Well, no, 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 no. So I think you need sea, a vacation. Yeah. Sea air was the prescription for, like, stress. If yes. you're honest about it, yeah. their prescription for mental breakdown was, was hey, why don't you come to the hang asylum? Out, why don't you come hang out in this little bedroom well, with bars over the doors where we'll electrocute you three well, times a week? Mr. Chittenham said. He was like, we couldn't tell people what we saw because they would have locked us the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but. So don't, how about don't buy haunted things so you have a reason to lie so you don't get locked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just go to, go take a vacation just because, not because you're stressed out about the haunted doll in your house who re, who replays the murder of their entire family before your eyes every night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, hey, listener. So here's what I want to hear from you this week. I want you to send us a message either on social media or to our email address, 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. 
um, or social media, just look for Campfire Classics Podcast. Shoot us a message. You can use this week's secret passcode, which is don't murder grandpa. <laughs> and, um. Don't murder grandpa. <laughs> it's the moral of the story. The moral of the story, yeah. Because he'll come back from the dead and kill your and kids. And kill your kids. Yeah, it's <laughs> fucked up. Um, but what I want to hear from you is your favorite tale of a haunted object. Ooh, yeah. Like if you, if you as a child, so me as a child, I had a, there's a painting, Ken has seen it, of this like famous clown and I did not like it as a kid. Like I just, it just, there was something wrong. There was something off on it and like it hung in my bedroom and I like to this day, like I get like goosebumps on my arms when I think about this painting and I don't know if it was haunted or if I was just a kid and it was kind of a creepy painting. Clowns are just unsettling. Like it was a sad clown, which is just, you know, sad in itself. So it's like, yeah. So if you have something like that from your childhood or like current, or if you have heard on like paranormal podcasts or anything about a really fun haunted object, you just, you let us know. Cause I'm into it. That's fun. Or if you hear this podcast and decide to get on haunted eBay and buy something, I want to know what you bought and what your experience is. <laughs> hey, listener, I've put my hand between my mouth and Heather, <laughs> oh, so no. she can't hear what I'm saying right now. So this is just between me and you. Cool. I can't hear it at all. Here's here's what I really want you to do is Don't you go dare. online and start buying haunted stuff that you can send to Heather. Don't you dare. It'll, it'll be really funny. <laughs> like it'll be it'll be really great. Um go ahead and track me down on social media, Ken Sandberg, and just message me when you've bought stuff and I'll send you an address that oh, you can you can mail this stuff to. My god. It's a good thing Heather couldn't hear any of that though. Um so <laughs> ha ha ha. Um that's funny because uh I've mentioned this podcast before. It's one of my favorite. It was like the first podcast I really got into and they still go and that's why we drink. Uh one of the hosts, uh, M, they do the segment on Paranormal, and because they've become quite famous and uh, they tour and stuff, people will show up to their events and give them haunted objects they found on eBay or stuff from their house that they think is haunted. So they have started, and they don't want them. Like, they're like, thank you. And, like, of course they accept it, but then they, like, donate it to, like, one of the haunted museums in the country or something because they're like, I don't want that in my house. But yeah, yeah people so started like, sending them stuff. So so as we said in the beginning of this episode, <laughs> please do not send us anything haunted. That would just be rude. My hands back up, <laughs> listeners. Please send us haunted shit. It would be hilarious. My hands back down. <laughs> and that's all for this episode. Heather, any last thoughts? Um... <laughs> and on that note, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to ruin your life. I'm scared. <laughs> 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 <laughs>